This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, May 24th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, public health reports error at COVID vaccine clinic, Mountain Village announces community housing initiative, Norwood School District Superintendent looks back on a COVID school year and a mountain weather forecast. The San Miguel County Public Health Department has reported an error in vaccine administration. According to Grace Franklin, Public Health Director for San Miguel County, last week, two young people between the age of 12 and 17 received the Moderna vaccine rather than the Pfizer. We had quite a large number of folks, um, a little over 350 people um, came through and were administered a vaccine. And um, we provided all three vaccine types, the Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson, or Janssen. But during this time frame, we did notice an error that the wrong vaccine was administered um, to two individuals that were age, um, below the age of 18. Currently, Pfizer is the only vaccine approved by the Federal Food and Drug Administration for individuals 12 and up. The Moderna vaccine is approved for those 18 and older. Luckily, our team um, was very quick to notice um, this mistake and um, addressed it immediately um, and um, took um, action to ensure that this wouldn't happen to anybody else at the clinic. Um, And then afterwards, um, once we verified that, Um, this wasn't an issue at any of the other vaccination stations. Um, We um, reached out to the state and started going down the route of research to determine what are the next steps to um, make sure that we're taking care of these two individuals. Franklin says those next steps include providing the two individuals with the Moderna vaccine for the second dose as well, rather than switching to Pfizer. Franklin notes the Moderna vaccine is currently in the third phase of trials for individuals 12 to 17, and the FDA is likely to approve the vaccine for the age group by the end of next month. So with those different data points um, and seeing that um, the trial showed that it is safe and effective so far for um, that age group. Um, the CDC, as well as the state and county public health, are confident that it is um, a safe vaccine for them, given the circumstances. Moving forward, Franklin says the public health department is reviewing the incident and taking steps to ensure a similar error doesn't take place again. We're debriefing, going through everything, figuring out um, what worked, what didn't work, Um, what are the needs of our staff to support them better. Um, And so we're doing that this week to really dive deep into the details and then retrain as appropriate um, in the various areas that we identify as this bigger systemic issue. Franklin notes she is confident in the public health's vaccine program. This mistake was really clear and we know what happened. And so it was a very easy fix. And we've administered um, well over 6,000 vaccines. Um, And I'm proud to say that we've gone through with care and um, a bunch of quality assurance processes throughout this process. But she understands if the error plays into a family's decision to vaccinate young people. I think especially being a new vaccine, there's a lot for families to really investigate and decide if this is the right choice them. And now, unfortunately, we have this other piece of consideration, right? And if we aren't the right group for y'all anymore, that's okay, too. We understand that. Um, we want we want people to um, 
feel safe and confident uh, wherever it's right for them. So I think it's a very valid thing to be concerned about, but um, I know that um, our team um, has taken this extremely seriously, um, and it's it's a high-stakes event every single time. Um, and um, I, I know that um, our team is um, moving forward in the best um, way possible. To date, over 65% of San Miguel County residents age 12 and up have received the full cycle of the COVID vaccine. Mountain Village is moving forward with a multi-pronged housing initiative with the aim of reducing stress for local residents looking to own and rent housing in the region. During a town council meeting last week, Mountain Village town attorney Paul Weiser laid out the first and largest prong of the plan, the Your Equity Support Deed Restrictive Incentive Program, or YES program. The YES program uh, is really aimed at creating affordable community housing uh, at a low cost to the town and doing it in an efficient way to assure that locals have a place to live uh, essentially in perpetuity. Weiser notes the YES program is based on a similar one that already exists in Vail. Through the program, the town of Mountain Village will pay a homeowner to deed restrict their house. I should be clear that it's not just that the town is giving money to somebody. They're actually purchasing a deed restriction. So there's an actual transaction going on. And in a lot of in, in different times, that transaction is probably subject to negotiation. Uh, but the truth is that in the communities that have adopted this program, um, given the current market, if a local can get under contract uh, on a particular unit, then that's pretty much good, good enough for the town to go ahead and uh, give them whatever cash they're asking for. The program doesn't actually give homeowners any amount of money they're looking for. Council agreed to provide a contribution of up to $200,000 for a homeowner to add a deed restriction to their home. Once that deed restriction is in place, it moves with the title, meaning it will stay deed restricted even if the owner sells. To that point, the program will not cap the amount of money an owner can sell their house for. One of the things that we want to do is assure that we have housing stock that is housing stock that people will want in the future. I think one of the drawbacks to price capped uh, units is that it, it doesn't really provide an incentive for the current occupants to keep those units up because they know they're only going to get so much money back. But if you have a market-driven deed restriction, people do have an interest in maintaining their units because they are going to go out onto the free market. But Council Member Pete Dupre worries that without a price cap, the cost of housing will just continue to go up. Here's an exchange between Dupre and Weiser. You don't have a, an appreciation restriction. Aren't we like 10 years down the road going to be, be in the same problem? Nobody can afford housing? No, because you're going to be restricted to people who are locals and who are using these units as their primary residence. And you know, they buy it at the purchase price today, uh, qualifying for that deed restriction. And there's a limited pool of people who are going to be interested in that particular unit. Town manager Kim Montgomery adds a similar type of deed restriction is already in place across the county. It's a similar deed restriction that the county has um, at Lawson Hill and Alexara. Mm -hmm. um, there are we, there are no price caps and it's it's just governed by the market, what the market will bear. So sellers can list their property for whatever price they choose, but the pool of those eligible to purchase is limited. 
Through the deed restriction, a buyer, owner, or renter of the property must be employed within the R1 school district and work an average of 30 hours a week annually in the area. But Councilmember Jack Gilbride wonders why the program doesn't qualify that the owner must work in Mountain Village specifically. would end up using Mountain Village money for houses and people that are outside Mountain Village. Mayor Leila Benitez worries if the program doesn't allow for a more regional approach, there could be contention between Mountain Village and Telluride. Part of the reason I think that we have opted not to in the past, and it's an option you know, now, not to say you have to be employed by someone in the, or by a company in the town of Mountain Village, is we don't want the same thing happening down in Telluride. And a lot of people that work in Mountain Village live in Telluride, and we don't want them losing their housing. We don't want to start creating this battle between the two communities. Councilmember Marty Prohaska adds working in Telluride doesn't make someone less of a member of the Mountain Village community. Even if you work in another community, if you're coming home to Mountain Village, you know, you're much more likely to go to Mountain Village businesses to, you know, get your takeout. You're much more likely to be, um, you know, utilizing Mountain Village services. And so it is adding to the community element of, of what it means to be a full-time year-round resident, even if you work in Telluride or you work, you know, in the county. Wiser notes through, yes, owners don't need to occupy their house, but anyone who rents does need to qualify for deed-restricted housing as well, and units are not available for short-term rentals. In addition to the new YES program, Mountain Village is also moving forward with the creation of a housing department and a community housing mitigation methodology. Here's Mountain Village Planning and Development Services Director Michelle Haynes explaining the methodology. You take your community data and you work with a consultant and then you develop a formula so that if someone's developing a hotel or mixed use or proposes um, some kind of new development, you have a tool to say, well, this is the development you're proposing and it will generate uh, this amount of employees. And then you've got a calculation for either units or you can negotiate a payment or uh, equitable value of land in exchange for assuring that the housing for the generated employees is being satisfied. When it comes to the housing department, Haynes notes the director position will do more than manage deed restrictions and compliance checks on current affordable housing units and properties. I think everybody understands that housing is important and we have a lot, we have a robust existing inventory and proposed future vision. So it only does it justice to have a community housing department Um, and the expertise around finance, land acquisition, um, knowing the community, building relationships and getting things done. By moving forward with the town-run housing department, Mountain Village will be leaving its current agreement with the San Miguel Regional Housing Authority and stepping back from funding the county-run initiative. Mountain Village currently allocates $90,000 towards the SMRHA. During the meeting, Town Council also moved forward with amending Mountain Village's Community Development Code to clarify language regarding accessory dwelling units, with the hope of encouraging more long-term rental options. It also supported reintroducing a duplex overlay on the town's single-family zone district to encourage constructing smaller housing units on a single-family lot.
The 2020-2021 school year is coming to a close. As teachers, students, staff and families prepare to leave what is hopefully the strangest school year behind, KOTO News is catching up with those at the helm of the local school districts. Today we're talking with Ken Lawrence, the superintendent of the Norwood School District. First off, congratulations on making it through the year. How does it feel to be closing out this chapter on a strange academic year? Well, we have about four days left to go, so I don't want to speak too soon. But yeah, it looks like we've made it. (laughs) It has been a very, very interesting and stressful year for everybody. But it feels good to be almost at the end. Looking back, what would you say are some of the proudest moments from how the Norwood School District made it through this last school year? I'd say our proudest moment is that we were able to keep the doors open and keep the students here in person uh, for pretty much the whole year. I mean, there was a you know a few weeks here or there that we had to quarantine some some students, but for the most part, compared to the rest of the state and the rest of the country, uh, I think we did a real good job at at keeping the, the students here in person. What do you attribute that success to? Just everybody working together. And, uh, you know, we had uh, close contacts with um, San Miguel County Health and, you know, Grace Franklin and her staff uh, setting up the reopening plan and uh, just making sure that we are following all the guidance coming out of the county and the state. And uh, even though, you know, not everyone agreed with it and differing opinions on on whether any of this stuff really works or not, uh, everyone uh, just pitched in and, and did what we needed to do to to keep moving forward and and keep the doors open. A proud year full of success, of course, also has challenges. Um, Are there any learning moments or challenges that especially stick out from the last year? Well, the the end of last year, um, you know, we were kind of thrown into this online model that we um, weren't really prepared for. I mean, we talked about it and, but hadn't had to implement it before. And, and the end of last school year, taught us that uh, the online model has flaws. You know, kids don't learn as well online without the teacher there in front of them all the time. They don't learn as well online as they do in person. So that's uh, over the summer, we regrouped and took the lessons learned from from the last, uh, what, six weeks or whatever it was of the school year uh, prior and uh, did the best we could to, um, as I said, keep everyone in person, but also plan ahead for when we did eventually have to go uh, to online. We had better uh, systems in place to help the students through there. It still still struggled, and whenever we went online, that the students still struggled because it's, it's just not the same as being in class in person with the teacher, but, but I think we did much better with our online uh, processes this school year than we ended last school year with. On that note, We know educators across the country pivoted and changed to make the school year as successful as possible. Are there any changes y'all put into place that are going to stick into the future regardless of what happens? Well, some of the the technology that we got, you know, the the swivel cameras and the owl cameras that uh, when even just one student has to stay home for some reason, uh, we can still bring that classroom into their home. Um, synchronously, just like they were there in class. Um, so I think that those tools and those lessons learned, we will hang on to uh, for, you know, if a, a child breaks a leg and has to be home for, you know, three weeks before they can come back to school, they don't have to miss out on school. We can can zoom into their, the classroom, into their home, 
and uh, they should be able to, to keep up much better than in the past where we would have to send homework home and and uh, it, it just wasn't the same. They miss out on the classroom discussions and things like that. So there are some pieces that that we use this year that I think will will hang on. Jumping to the future, um, how do you think you're going to look back on this year? Well, I'll be first thing I'll look back and be glad it's over. <laughs> but then uh, I think we had some successes. You know, I had uh, I had some goals going into this year that. Um, once um, it was apparent that our, our current leadership structure uh, was not going to um, stay in the future, um, you know, I had a goal of, of finding a new superintendent to, to take take the reins and, and can keep us moving forward. And I think we found a real good superintendent to, to lead us into the future and also our new uh, principal. So we have a new new leadership team that will be starting next year and that getting those two people in place while the current team is still here and being able to have a smooth transition. Uh, those were, were big goals that, that we accomplished and we'll be very proud looking back that, that we were able to get a good leadership team in place and then have that smooth transition to, to keep all of the positives that we're doing uh, moving forward. Well, Ken, congratulations again on making it through the COVID school year and I hope you get something of a break this summer. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was Norwood School District Superintendent Ken Lawrence. Tune in on Wednesday to hear from John Pandolfo, the superintendent of the Telluride School District, as he looks back on the academic year. A 2019 drought plan for the Colorado River is being put into action as its main reservoirs are projected to decline to record low levels. Officials in Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, and Utah say they're working with the federal government to develop a drought operations plan for Lake Powell. It could include releasing more water from upstream reservoirs. Greg Johnson is with the Colorado Water Conservation Board. Uh, we've experienced about 20 years of a much, much drier climate, a, a new reality that, that we are all dealing with today. Um, and as a result of that, the, the storage that we currently have is already um, at, a, at a much lower level. Lake Powell is the country's second largest reservoir. It's currently projected to be at just 29 percent capacity by summer's end. The Colorado River supplies water for about 40 million people across the southwest. Colorado lawmakers are advancing more reforms aiming to prevent violent interactions with the police. They are also supporting a new effort, making it easier for residents to learn what their departments are up to. Dozens of police departments have started encrypting their radio traffic in recent years, making it harder for the public and journalists to listen to police as they respond to calls. A recent amendment to the police reform bill would force departments to let the media listen. A similar measure failed last year because lawmakers worried a listening public could put officers in jeopardy. The latest bill would also make it easier for residents to get access to body camera footage and protect officers who blow the whistle on bad behavior. The reforms have cleared the House. The Senate is scheduled to debate the bill on Tuesday. Governor Jared Polis and dozens of Democratic lawmakers unveiled their plan on Monday to spend billions in federal coronavirus relief money. 
But as KOTO Scott Franz reports, they offered few details. What they unveiled was more of a rough outline than a plan. They want to use 25% of the money to shore up the state budget. Other money would support the ongoing vaccine rollout and public health response. And there were broad calls to use money from the American Rescue Plan to help struggling businesses and people on the verge of losing homes. But lawmakers plan to wait until the next legislative session, which starts in January, to decide how to spend about $1 billion on mental health and housing security. In the meantime, they are planning to convene special committees to work on the recommendations over the summer. 17 officials, including Democratic congressional representatives, spoke in favor of the stimulus plans at a news conference. But no Republican lawmakers attended. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low around freezing. Tuesday should be sunny during the day with partly cloudy skies at night. The high is in the mid-60s with a low around 40 degrees. Wednesday, expect partly sunny skies with a high near 65 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Wednesday night calls for partly cloudy skies with a low around 40 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, May 24th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. This is a reminder that the Longwell B6 Housing Lottery closes this Wednesday, May 26th at noon. Only completed applications will be reviewed by the San Miguel Regional Housing Authority. Please thoroughly review the checklist prior to submitting your application. If you have any questions, please contact SMRHA at admin at smrha.org or calling 970-728-3034. Attention all parents! Do you want to learn about mindfulness? Bright Futures is partnering with local mindfulness experts to bring you another free virtual workshop series, this time on mindful parenting. Hi, this is Madeline with Bright Futures. Mindful parenting will take place in English each Wednesday in May from 7 to 8 p.m. on Zoom. During these weekly workshops, we will cover health and well-being, parenting with connection, the how and why of mindfulness, and offer a one-hour yin yoga session for parents. These workshops are intended for parents with children age 0 to 5, but all are welcome to attend. For more information or to register, please visit our website, brightfuturesforchildren.org. You can also email me at madeline at brightfuturesforchildren.org. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.